As I said, this morning we are continuing our series on marks of a healthy church. Uh, And not long before this series, just before our series in Nehemiah, we did a mini-series looking at uh, some Christian virtues. And when looking at topics like these, there is the very real danger that we engage in surface-level behavior change. We can see that there are things that ought to characterize us as Christians and as a church, And we realize that very often these things do not characterize us. And so we can point at the problem. We can draw up a list of practical things to do to get us to behave better, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Now, I'm I'm certainly not saying that that is how we have approached these series. But even when the preachers try to steer us clear of this trap, we as hearers can very easily fall into it. Uh, So in this sermon this morning on marks of a healthy church. I want to be very explicit about what makes us healthy, both as a church and as individual Christians. And I want to kind of emphasize a point that Martin Lloyd-Jones made in one of his commentaries in Ephesians 5. Um, And he says this, there is only one way to live the truly Christian life. It is to be filled with the Spirit. It is a waste of breath to appeal to people to be better. Man cannot do it. He needs a new nature. He needs to be changed. And the Spirit of God alone can do that. Man needs to be filled with the Spirit. So says Martin Lloyd-Jones. So the mark of health that I want to focus on is this. A healthy church is Spirit-filled. And I'm going to use my as my text this morning... Acts chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. These two texts um, speak in different ways about being filled with the Spirit. And as we look at each in turn, I want us to see that to be a healthy church, we must be filled, or we must be filled with the Spirit in two ways. First, the Acts 2 way, and then the Ephesians 5 18 way. The Acts 2 way is where we must start because it shows us how the Spirit is the maker of of a healthy church, as we are indwelled and empowered by the Spirit. The Ephesians 5.18 verse then shows us that in order to be a healthy church, we must be filled or under the influence of the Spirit. So we will look at Spirit-filled marks of a healthy church, but let's always bear in mind that we absolutely cannot bear the marks of a healthy church without first encountering the maker of the church, the Holy Spirit. So let's read together some verses from Acts chapter 2. Read some selected passages just for the sake of time. First from verse 1 to verse 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them. And rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, 
Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Now we'll skip past Peter's sermon in verse 14 to 36, but it's well worth reading yourself at home when you've got time. And we'll, we'll go to the, the conclusion and the response to his sermon in verses 37 to 41 of chapter 2. Now when they heard this, that, that is Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So let's look at the, the context of, of what happened here in Acts chapter 2. Shortly before these verses in, in chapter 1, Jesus promises that after he returns to the Father, he would send the Spirit, whom he previously referred to as another helper in John fourteen sixteen, one of the same kind as Jesus. Only better astounding as that may seem, because where Jesus' bodily presence was limited to a finite number of people in a defined location, the Spirit's presence would have no such limitations, and he would come to bring power to all God's people. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read Jesus' words of promise, saying, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, he sat with his Father in heaven. In Acts 2, Jesus' followers now, including the, the, the apostles and other men and women, are gathering for prayer and waiting expectantly for Jesus' words to be fulfilled. And then it happened. In Acts 2, 1 to 13, the Spirit breathed life into the church. He gave them power to be witnesses so that the church might grow globally. This was a phenomenal event that announced this new church age in history. It was the start of something new. No longer were the disciples a tenuously gathered bunch of individuals meeting in fear. They had power and purpose to take the gospel global. At Pentecost, God gave his spirit in a new way to his people, the church, when in the past the spirit came upon certain people in special ways and for specific tasks. Now in fulfillment of Jesus' words, the spirit was coming in power on all of God's people. He would come to empower them so that they could serve him and to be his witnesses. And radically knew the spirit was with God's people to stay this act to filling of the Spirit was for the whole church for all time. God's presence would be permanent in a way that prior to Pentecost, no one had ever experienced before. Acts 2, 1 to 13 gives us an amazing and a vivid description of what happened on that day of Pentecost a couple thousand years ago. 
Jerusalem, a multi-ethnic, bustling, multinational city with people from every nation under heaven. And suddenly on this day, foreign visitors to Jerusalem heard something strange. They heard Galilean men and women speaking fluently in the native language of people from every nation around. These ordinary Galilean Christians were given extraordinary power to communicate the gospel to a global audience without fear or timidity, but with power and love because the Holy Spirit had been given to them. Their powerful preaching, we see then, divides the crowd into those who were amazed and perplexed and wanted to know more, and those who scoffed and mocked and accused the disciples of being drunk. But we see, despite these accusations of of drunken behavior, it's important to note that what happened on that day was not chaos, but in fact order. Although mockers accused them of speaking gibberish and of being drunk, it was only gibberish to those who did not listen or who did not understand or who did not want to. The word of God was being clearly and powerfully communicated in intelligible human languages. It was, in fact, the order and intelligibility of the people's, of the disciples' words that so impacted the crowd. And we should expect nothing less from the Spirit, because the Spirit's function from the very beginning has been to bring order and not chaos. It was the Spirit who hovered over the surface of the deep in Genesis 1, and who, along with God the Father, God the Son, brought order and beauty to an empty chaotic wilderness. And in Genesis 2, we read of the creation of man. Adam was formed from the dust, but it wasn't until God breathed his spirit into that man that he became a living being. So we know that the spirit, by his power, brings life and order and beauty. And this is what we see here in Acts 2. The spirit breathes life into the church in a way that has echoes of Ezekiel 37 and that vision of the valley of dead, dry bones that are clothed in flesh and made to stand on their feet and brought to life when the Spirit of God comes upon them and they stand as a mighty army. So, too, here in Acts 2, the church are filled with power and tell of the mighty works of God to the people around them with divine power when they're filled with the Spirit. And now as we, as we go through Acts 2 and, and beyond, it becomes clear that the gift of the Spirit was not just an isolated event in history, not just for this day of Pentecost. We see that the gift of the Holy Spirit was not limited to this time or to this place or indeed to these particular people. Peter begins his sermon in verse 14 to 21 by explaining that what happened that Pentecost day was a fulfillment of prophecy, fulfillment of prophecy from Joel, which told how men and women, young and old, from all sections of society would receive the Holy Spirit and be filled with remarkable power, so that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter then continues to convict those listening that Jesus is this Lord on whom they must call. And then we see at the end of Peter's sermon, everyone was cut to the heart and asked what they should do. Remember, these were people from every nation, Jews and non-Jews, Cretans, Arabians, people from Egypt, Libya, visitors from Rome. 
And then Peter tells them what they must do. He says in verse 38 and 39, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. These words are massive. They tell us the gift of the Spirit is for all people from all backgrounds, from all places, through all ages. These words come to us today, to you and to me, as those who are far off, living generations after this promise was made. Today, if you repent and are baptized, if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you have known his forgiveness of your sins, then the promise of the Holy Spirit is yours. You have indeed received him. This church, Hebron Evangelical Church, is an evidence of this promise being fulfilled. This means that you and I, this church, have the same spirit dwelling in us as those early Christians did. And we have access to the same power to speak boldly and with great love about the mighty works of God. We have the spirit living in us to make us who we ought to be, to give us the power to be the people of God, walking in ways that please him. Here in Acts 2, and now today, the spirit fills ordinary people with his extraordinary power so that we can proclaim the good news of salvation to ordinary people from every nation that they in turn might repent and receive the Holy Spirit and can continue the cascade of gospel good news reaching more and more and more so that God's kingdom would grow and that he would be glorified. This is the glorious way of the Holy Spirit making the church and filling the church. There's immense encouragement for us from this text. We ordinary Christians have the Holy Spirit living in us. His power is available to us His power that gives us a new heart and enables us to be the people God created us to be. His power to make us healthy as individual Christians and healthy as a church. So this is the the first way in which the healthy church, or indeed the true church, must be filled with the Spirit. We are indwelled and empowered by the Spirit. And next we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 to see the other way in which a church, in order to be healthy, must be filled with the Spirit. In this short verse in Ephesians 5.18, Paul writes to Christians, and he says to them, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. People who have been indwelled by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit Now Paul in Ephesians 5.18 calls this being sealed with the Holy Spirit. We see that in in Ephesians 1 verse 13. Paul calls the kind of Acts 2 type filling being sealed. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So Paul is speaking to these same people in 5.18 of Ephesians And he recognizes that they are filled with the Spirit in the same way that was evident in Acts 2. And that was promised by Peter for all who repent and turn to Jesus. This filling or indwelling is not something that they can lose. It doesn't need topped up. And yet Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. 
So how are we to understand these words and apply them to ourselves? Ephesians shows us that it's possible for us to be indwelled by the Spirit and yet live in ways that resist His power, ways that grieve the Spirit, as Ephesians 4 verse 30 says. Or to put it in terms of Galatians 5, having been given life by the Spirit, we can yet walk out of step with the Spirit. The, spirit, the filling with the Spirit here in Ephesians 5.18 is not a salvation issue, but it is certainly a spiritual health issue and a church health issue. So let's briefly look at this verse in a bit more detail in the light of Acts 2 and seek to make some applications for us today. On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, some scoffers accused the disciples of being filled with wine and not the Spirit. Paul here in Ephesians seems to parallel that thought and instructs Christians not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. He contrasts being under the influence of alcohol with being under the influence of the Spirit. And this is a good way to understand what Paul is telling the Christians to be and do here. He instructs them to be continually under the influence of the Spirit, as we learned. And as we learned in Acts 2, this looks like order and clear communication of the mighty works of God with the power of the Spirit. Paul instructs them to have their actions and thoughts and relationships, everything controlled by the Holy Spirit who is in them. Their lives are to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And we see what this looks like in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 5 and following, where we see them speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks to God for everything and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's no doubt that what we have here in in verse 18 of Ephesians 5 is a command from Paul. He instructs the Christians whom he has previously identified as being sealed with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. This is something that they must do. But the language here is actually in the passive voice, indicating that they are not so much to become under the influence of the Spirit by their own effort, but by simply allowing the Spirit to act, to work in and through them. They are to yield their lives to the Spirit, John Stott put it like this. He said that this instruction from Paul to be filled with the Spirit should read in the way that the NEB translation puts it, which says, let the Holy Spirit fill you. And he goes on to say the implications of this is that when we think about being filled with the Spirit in this Ephesians 5.18 kind of way, there is no technique to learn or formula to recite. What is essential is such a penitent turning from what grieves the Holy Spirit and such a believing openness to him that nothing hinders him from filling us. So what we have here is a command. It is something that believers must do, but the active agent of change is not the believer, but the Holy Spirit. We must yield our lives to him. Now, this is something that is easy to say. It's so, so much harder for us to do. Because as William pointed out last week when he was preaching, we have within us a nature that still seeks after our own interests. We do not naturally yield to the Spirit because we want to exert our own power and influence. And this is precisely why we need to remind ourselves 
of the continual need to give ourselves up, give up our selfish, sinful desires of control, and give it all over to God, to be yielded to His Spirit. You know, even as I wrote this, I had within me a war waging. I wanted to close my Bible and to, to stop thinking about what I was thinking and distract myself with watching the football or mindlessly scrolling on a, a web page, frittering away time. And I know my desire to avoid the conversations about gospel when I'm speaking with my non-Christian friends. I know my desire to seek my own comfort and not to yield my life to the Spirit. And this is why this is such an important thing for us to focus on this morning. The mark of a healthy church is to be filled with the Spirit in the Acts 2 way, being indwelled and empowered by Him, and also in the Ephesians 5.18 way, to let the Holy Spirit fill you. This is what we need as individual Christians, and it's what we need as a church. We need to be transformed by the power of the Spirit working in and through us. And as we are, we will see Him working in ways that we could never bring about ourselves. In Acts 2, this resulted in fearless and clear gospel proclamation that caused many to be added to the church, many to be saved. What could it mean for us today? What could it mean for us as a church? The Holy Spirit when we are filled with him, will make us healthier as a church in a way that we could never bring about ourselves through our own self-fueled efforts. And so as we bring things to a close, let's return again to this quote that I opened with from Lloyd-Jones. There is only one way to live the truly Christian life. It is to be filled with the Spirit. It is a waste of breath to appeal to people to be better. Man cannot do it. Man needs a new nature. He needs to be changed, and the Spirit of God alone can do that. Man needs to be filled with the Spirit. So let us consider a couple of questions as we, as we finish. I wonder, have you encountered the Holy Spirit, as Acts 2 talks about him, indwelling his people and empowering them? Are you aware that you have new desires, a, a new heart, since becoming a Christian? Or does all this sound very strange and foreign to you? Perhaps you're not even yet a Christian. Well, the challenge from Peter in Acts 2.38 is for you. And the promise is for you. It says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is no better thing to do and no better gift to receive. And if you would like to talk to someone about it, I would love to chat with you. Or perhaps this life of the Spirit is familiar to you, but maybe a distant or a faded memory. Perhaps you had an experience of living in step with the Spirit, knowing the fruits of the Spirit in your life, but these have faded. Paul's words in Ephesians 5.18 then are for you. And they are not a burden, but an invitation to freedom. To give up wrestling against the influence of the Spirit and to give control of your life to Him. As Christians and as a church, you and I need to heed the words of Peter and Paul. We need to remember who it is that is in us. 
the Holy Spirit with all of his life-giving power. We need to yield our life to him again today. This is something I am personally convicted of. I know my daily need to realign my life to his, to recognize that in so many ways, my life is out of step with that of the Spirit who gives me life. But I am so encouraged that all that I have to do is to give myself up again to his power and to allow him to fill me, to control me. I need to be more under his influence. This is the way to personal Christian health and corporate church health, to be filled with the Spirit. Let us pray that we would all be filled with the Spirit, being indwelt by him and empowered by him and completely under the influence of him the one who is the maker of a healthy church and whose fruits are the mark of a healthy church. Now let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for the truth that you have offered your Holy Spirit to us ordinary sinful people, that when we come to you and repent, we receive forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ, and we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to recognize who it is we are this morning. If we are in Christ, we are indwelt by your Holy Spirit, and we have access to you. Father, we thank you for that incredible privilege, and we confess how often we live out of step with your Spirit. Even having been given life by the Spirit, we seek to walk our own way. Lord, would you, would you help each one of us to yield our lives again to the power of your Spirit, to become more and more under the influence of your Holy Spirit in our lives, and so to be able to please you in the way that we live, to proclaim your gospel and this good news to people that we might meet even today. So, Father, we just thank you for this wonderful gift of your Holy Spirit. Amen.